Uninvisible is a support podcast that provides information, ideas, suggestions, and experiences that deal squarely with medical issues that present unique advocacy issues for individuals. We do not provide medical advice of any kind. We do provide support, concepts, ideas, discussions, and information that you can use to make sure that you are being heard and that your concerns are being addressed. Please consult with your physician for any medical issue that you are facing, but we will be here for you along your journey. We welcome all comments about our episodes and, of course, the correction of any errors. Information and comments that you send to us are governed by our Terms of Service and Privacy Policy, which are available on our website located at www.uninvisiblepod.com. The opinions expressed by guests are their own and are not necessarily the opinion of Uninvisible or the show sponsors. Most of all, we welcome your stories and experiences to share with our community because without you, this community and the benefit it offers all of us would not exist. Any advertising that you may hear is accepted without regard to our editorial content. Of course, in the event that you are having a medical emergency of any kind, consult your physician or emergency services. A trigger warning that this episode may be challenging for our listeners who have struggled with alcohol and addiction. Welcome to Uninvisible. I'm your host, Lauren Friedman, and I'm here with my guests to bring you info, insights, and inspiration for coping with, diagnosing, and treating invisible illness. We're here oversharing, so you don't have to struggle with invisibility anymore. Thank you so much for joining us today. I am here with Todd White. He is the founder of Dry Farm Wines. And some of you guys may recall hearing about Dry Farm Wines in a very early episode of the podcast when friends of ours recommended that people with chronic illness check out Dry Farm Wines because some of us can drink these wines and not get sick from them. So Todd, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, Super happy to be here. There is a lot to share about the dark secrets of the wine industry and how wine can be both healthy or quite unhealthy for you. Yes, absolutely. Well, why don't we start from the top? Why don't you tell us why you started Dry Farm Wines and a bit about the science behind wine and wine consumption? Well, those are three big topics. But (laughs) anyway, so I started Dry Farm Wines because about five years ago, I became ketogenic. Mm. started following a ketogenic diet and lifestyle. I had been for many years prior to that before biohacking was a term, Mm. which is probably seven or eight years old, I'd been biohacking and experimenting with various wellness and fitness regimens for most of my adult life and had began being experimenting with a ketogenic diet, but not really realizing what it was by following the Atkins diet back in the 1980s, early 1990s. So I experimented with low carb on and off about five years ago, Uh, In the biohacking world, the ketogenic diet became pretty prominent as as a as a neurological kind of biohack. Because there, you know, while many people experiment with the ketogenic diet to lose weight, weight loss is really a side effect. It's not the reason to be ketogenic. In my opinion, the reason to be ketogenic is because of the neurological um, enhancements, Mm. enhancements to memory, enhancements to uh, the clarity of thought and flow state, and a lot of other neurological benefits, as well as some biological benefits as well. So anyway, I had pursued a ketogenic lifestyle and become very serious about it when I did. Now, now ketogenic diet is the number one search Google term for diet. 
five years ago, it didn't even rank. And so, but now it's become quite mainstream popular as people like the Kardashians and, or, you know, one of our customers, Holly Berry, you know, um, is keto. And so it's very, it's become quite buzzy, but at the time sort of became ketogenic. And I just noticed that wines were making me feel bad yeah, and even sickly and getting terrible hangovers and brain fog. And I initially thought it was alcohol Mm. because alcohol is a very dangerous neurotoxin and, uh, and a very destructive drug. Mm. And I had spent much of my adult life having somewhat of a tenuous relationship with alcohol. So I just thought, you know, I'm drinking too much. Right. So I started drinking less and diluting wine. It was in the winter. I started diluting wines. At that time, I'm still drinking commercial wines. Mm. I live in the Napa Valley. Mm. And so I'm, I'm drinking, you know, California wines, wines from all over the world. I've been a wine drinker since I was nine years old. So I've been oh, a, you shouldn't be telling us that, Todd. I, well, I did. I'm <laughs> quite proud of it. Yes. And so a lifelong wine aficionado. Yeah. And also for quite some period during my adult life, it also drank spirits. But mm. and we'll get talk about alcohol and why it's dangerous and what's wrong with alcohol in a moment. But it is a, it is a serious neurotoxin. So I thought it was just alcohol. So I started diluting. This is in the wintertime. I started diluting wine with hot tea. Mm. And so... And so I was drinking, instead of two or three glasses, I maybe went down to drinking two or three ounces a night. Hmm. And I had a very favorable reaction to drinking less wine. And at the time, this is before I knew about all the additives and the toxins were in wine, I thought it was just the alcohol. I, I realized that I think that drinking less alcohol is what's causing me to feel better. That's not really the case, but that's what I think. So I asked this friend of mine who's very knowledgeable in wine. I was like, okay, how low can you make a wine? How low in alcohol can you make a wine? Because I was going to make some wine and remove alcohol from it. There are two technical processes. The most common one is called reverse osmosis, where you separate the alcohol and the water. Those are the two primary components of wine, Mm -hmm. ethyl alcohol and water. The rest of what makes up wine are polyphenols, antioxidants, and flavonoids, and non-flavonoids. Those are what makes up wine. But the majority of wine is water and alcohol. Mm. That's the component of wine. So I, I, I thought just drinking less alcohol was the trick. <clears throat> in having this conversation with my friend, he said, have you drank any of the low-alcohol wines that are made in Europe? And I was like, no, I didn't know anything about them. Never heard of low alcohol wines. So I go down to the local wine store in San Francisco that where the kind of boutique cult wines are sold. It's a big store, but they don't sell like really, com- they don't sell a lot of like store brands. They sure. kind of more curated. Mm. And I go in and I was like, I'm looking for low alcohol wines. And they look at me like I have a third eye. Right? <laughs> of course. So they're like, why would you want that? <laughs> and I was like, I didn't need to explain to them why, but they're like, no, we don't have any way of telling you. You can just go look at the bottles. Mm. And so I did. And we'll get back to this in a moment. But the alcohol stated on a wine bottle by law is not required to be accurate. We'll come back to that. Oh, wow. But I looked on the wine bottles and it seemed to me that 12 and a half percent seemed to be the demarcation between a low alcohol wine and a high alcohol wine. Sure. 12 and a half and below were really quite rare. 
Mm. And so, and so I, I selected a case of these wines. I took them home and ended up opening them all on the same night because most of them I poured down the sink. Right. Mm. And so, because they just weren't drinkable, they didn't taste very good. Right. So through that process, I, um, I learned of, uh, I learned as I began to taste and seek out more of these low alcohol wines, I discovered uh, a wine merchant that had quite a few low alcohol wines. It was an organic market, a, a tiny organic market in San Francisco that I happened upon quite by accident. Hmm. And I bought a case of wine from them at 12 and a half and below. And it turns out that there's this one importer from Paris, and his name is uh, Josh Adler. He's an American, but he lives in Paris. And he had this wine company called the Paris Wine Company. And so I, I noticed that all of his low-alcohol wines were also delicious. Hmm. And so I ended up calling him and asking him about this. And he told me, oh, I sell only natural wines. And I was like, what's a natural wine? Aren't all wines natural? <laughs> so when you, <laughs> when, you use the, yeah, when you use the phrase natural, then it's like consumers are very confused by that. Mm. Like, well, aren't all wines natural? Well, in fact, they're not. Mm. And we'll talk about what makes a natural wine in a moment, but here's why they're not natural. Is because conventional wines can contain up to 76 FDA-approved additives. Yeah. Now, why don't consumers know about these additives? Because the wine industry has spent tens of millions of dollars in lobby money to keep contents labeling off of wine. Mm-hmm. Any number of efforts have been made to get contents and nutritional information stated on a wine bottle. The wine industry has been effective at defeating that. If you had a contents labeling, if there were transparency about what was in the wine, you would see a whole bunch of names of chemicals and additives and color agents that you have no idea what they are. So it's almost like if we're, if we're getting wine from our local supermarket and we're not sourcing it um, in a sustainable, organic, biodynamic uh, farming situation, it's almost like we're buying like a, a hostess cupcake version of wine, right? Like it's like a well, packaged food. The problem is we don't know what you're getting. Right. That's so it's even worse. <laughs> we, we don't know what you're getting. So yeah. we don't know what is or is not in any bottle of wine that's purchased. Right. Uh-huh. And so the only way to know what you're getting there are two is to buy from a trusted merchant who knows the farmer. Mm-hmm. Right. And second of all, to do lab testing, independent lab testing, which we're the only health quantified wine merchant in the world. We're the only merchant that does independent lab testing on every wine. Mm. So if you really want to know what's in wine, you lab test it. If you want to know whether there's sugar in wine, you test for it. If you want to know the amount of alcohol in a wine, you have to test for it. Mm. Because as I mentioned earlier, alcohol stated on a wine bottle is not required by law to be accurate. Wow. And it's generally rounded down. And the reason is rounded because the lower the alcohol, the lower the federal excise tax the producer pays. Wow. Now the reason that the reason that the alcohol can be stated down and it be legal, as an example, if it says 14% on the bottle, it can be as high under the law as 15.5%. Right? Mm-hmm. 
If it were, say, 12%, it could be as high, or if it says 12.5%, it could be as high as 14%, it would still be legal. Right, wow. Now, the reason for that is in the post-prohibition era when most of these federal alcohol laws were written, and alcohol is very funny because it, it's, it's, it is governed both by the state and by the federal government. Mm. Most of the regulation for all alcohol is at the state level, but there are certain laws that apply at the federal level. And the most important one is the labeling law. So the TTB, which used to be the ATF before they renamed it after Waco, right? So the FT, the TTB, the TTB, what used to be called the firearms, tobacco and alcohol agency. Mm. Now it's called the tax and trade bureau, right? It's a much friendlier name, but they do the same thing. Right. Right. So anyway, so the, the TTB is responsible for labeling of alcohol, and that's where the alcohol is stated. Now, the reason that it can be a percent and a half off and still be legal is because in the 1940s, when this law was written, alcohol testing protocols could differ from lab to lab, right? Mm-hmm. And so they built in this little variance to keep everybody comfortable. Well, that's not any longer true today and hasn't been true for decades. Alcohol testing is very precise. Wine industry doesn't want the law changed. So the law, while grossly misleading and completely unnecessary, remains on the books today because of that, right? Mm -hmm. So it's just another collusion between the wine industry and the U.S. government. It's sounding an awful lot like collusion between the U.S. government and cigarette and tobacco companies and food companies and food companies. Yeah. Right. So the same thing that's happened in our food supplies happened in our wine supply as well. There's been massive corporate consolidation, Mm -hmm. right? So 52% of all the wine manufactured in the United States is made by just three giant conglomerates. Wow. And the top 30 companies make over 70% of us wines. Mm. So this is what's happening, but this is all a secret you see, because The secret is these three giant conglomerates, these multi-billion dollar marketing conglomerates hide behind tens of thousands of brands and labels. Mm -hmm. So what they want you to believe is that you're drinking from a farmhouse or a chateau, when in fact you're drinking from these massive wine manufacturing facilities located in Central California. And, And that's what's making people feel bad. So here's what I discovered. Well, alcohol will make you feel bad for sure. Mm. Too, much, too high a dose of this neurotoxin, of this poison, will definitely cause you to feel bad. So you definitely want to drink lower alcohol wines. But it's not just the alcohol. It's the additives and manipulations that are causing people, and sugar, that are causing people to feel bad. Now, how do we know, anecdotally, how do we know that sugar and alcohol together make you feel bad? And I'll give you an example. If you were to have a shot of tequila, that's a very different outcome than drinking a margarita, right? Because <laughs> you put sugar and alcohol together, you get a particularly nasty hangover. Right. And so that's, you know, and anybody who's ever done that experiment or who's ever had a shot of tequila versus a margarita knows the difference, right? right? And so, so that's, you know, so sugars are oftentimes hidden in wine. There's no requirement on the label to disclose sugar and right. no one does. And you 
can't always taste, not even as taste experts can we taste sugar in wine, mm -hmm. All, unless it's like super sweet, right? right? But if it's like contains moderate amounts of sugar, and I try to live a sugar-free lifestyle, I'm ketogenic, so even moderate amounts of sugar in wine you can't taste because the acid levels are quite high, right? Mm -hmm. And so it has to contain a lot of sugar to actually taste it. Only way we know if it contains sugar is because we come back positive in a lab test. Mm -hmm. So for all the wines that we taste and test, and they all have to have a certain criteria, a natural criteria for us to even, we only select, only 30% of them make it through our filter. So yeah. we reject 70% of the wines that we taste and test. Right. And there's a couple of reasons for that. But anyway, so that's sort of how I got here. Mm. You know, and then I discovered that I discovered that drinking natural wines, I no longer had these negative effects. And all of us are different. So how wine is going to affect you and how additives are going to affect you or how alcohol is going to affect you is going to be very different than how it affects me, right? Mm. And so an alcohol, just like any other drugs where there's a, you know, where there's a, there's a neurological change, just like any other drug, set and setting has a lot to do with also how alcohol affects us. So if we're under an undue amount of stress, alcohol can affect us differently than if we're just at a party, right? Mm -hmm. Are we drinking alcohol to check out or to tap in? So right. we think about drinking natural wines as a way of tapping into love and into an elevated expression of creativity and not drinking to check out. Mm -hmm. Like if you drink to, to avoid your misery in life, right? You're checking out, you're yeah. escaping reality, opposed to yeah. tapping into an enhanced experience. So I think it's important for people, not when they think about any kind of alcohol, it's important for people to think about their relationship with alcohol, right? And so I would also tell you that most wine, most regular wine drinkers, which is why our product has become so popular, most regular wine drinkers think they drink too much. And they like to drink less. I'm talking about people who drink wine daily. Yeah. Uh, or any drinkers who drink daily. Most of them believe they drink too much and would benefit from drinking less. And in this case, we're giving them a way to drink less without drinking less. Right? They're mm -hmm. still having their wine experience without ingesting so much alcohol. Absolutely. And the difference between 11%, which is generally the wines I drink are around 11 or 11 and a half percent. The difference between 11% and 15% is radical in yeah. terms of how you feel. Right. And so, I mean, I'll say from my experience, it's the 15% that I'll get the hangover. And if it's not natural or biodynamic or dry farmed in any way, I mean, this is the thing I've learned drinking your wines, right? Is that when I first got sick, I found out that I couldn't drink anymore. And I've always loved a nice glass of wine at the end of the day with my dinner or to sit with friends and share a meal and have wine with that meal. It's part of that communal experience, you know? And I, suddenly I had to remove it because I was like, every time I drink wine, I'm out for two days. Like I can't get out of bed for two days. It's horrible. It's, it's horrible. absolutely horrible. And it's not even that it's necessarily a hangover. It's just these are the neurological effects and the, the physical effects that that drinking that much sugar, that much alcohol has on our bodies and all of those additives if you're not drinking a good wine, right? And then- And the additives, which we, uh, again, we, yeah. you, can't, you, you can't look at a wine bottle and know what's in it. There's no. just no transparency there. Absolutely. So, 
Yeah. And when I started drinking, I, I mean, it was great. I got in touch with you guys. I started drinking dry farm wines at the recommendation of a fellow chronically ill person. And I was like, oh my God, I can drink wine again. You know, now this is not to say that everyone should be drinking wine. Cause as you say, everyone has a different relationship to alcohol and to drinking. But for me, it was an aspect of, of community that had been taken away and was suddenly I was allowed to have again. And that's huge when you're someone who's struggling with losing parts of your community and parts of how you identify yourself and your group of friends. So, you know, we've got you to thank for, uh, for bringing these wines to us. And, you know, I was hoping you could also tell us a bit more about what these terms mean, you know, um, what is dry farming? What, what does biodynamic mean? And, you know, organic wines versus the kinds of wines you might see in the supermarket. What distinguishes your wines aside from the sugars and the alcohols and the lack of additives? Right. So for us, so natural wines generally, not the term natural wine, which as I said, can be confusing to consumers. The term natural wine has no certification. Dry Farm Wines has its own certification program. There's no certification for natural wine and there's no legal definition for it in the United States or anywhere in the world. However, that being said, there is a generally understood definition of what a natural wine is. And for us, that means dry farmed. Irrigation is the first intervention into Mother Nature's logic in, in farming. There's no need to irrigate a grapevine, and there's a whole lot of reasons why you shouldn't do it. Hmm. We can talk about that more later. But yeah. So in our case, it's dry farmed. It is either organic or biodynamically farmed. Biodynamic farming is a prescriptive, advanced form of organic farming. And so it takes organic farming and prescribes additional practices and treatments to, that are all natural to the vines, mm. including the practices, including uh, farming by lunar cycles. Oh, wow. So farming by tide and by the moon, right? Wow. So only doing certain practices like harvest during certain moon cycles, pruning during certain moon cycles, right? So mm. that, that's, that is biodynamic farming. And then in addition to that, the third most important benchmark for a natural wine is that the, that the juice is fermented with wild native yeast that is on the skin of every grape in the world. Every wine grape has native indigenous yeast that are collected in the vineyard where the grape is grown. Right. Commercial wines are not fermented with wild native yeast. That wild native yeast is killed by the winemaker, and then it is inoculated with genetically modified, commercially lab-grown yeast. Wow. Now, there's, there are three reasons why these commercial yeasts are used instead of the wild yeast. Hmm. The wild yeast is quite temperamental, requires a lot of coddling, <laughs> and you can't make it in very high volumes. You can't make a lot of wine using native yeast. It's just too difficult, right? And so these lab-grown yeasts have been modified primarily in, in three different ways. They've been modified to withstand a high alcohol environment, right? Mm -hmm. So native yeast will not, with, will not live in a high alcohol environment. And I'm going to come back to alcohol in a moment about why that's important. Mm -hmm. uh, number two, they are also 
you can make high volumes of wine. This genetically modified lab-grown yeast is very stable, right? So you can make wine in high volumes and easily. Mm. It's very stable and easy to work with. And the third reason is that these yeasts can be modified to have certain flavor characteristics. Let me give you an example. Let's say you grow, you know, a very terrible grape in Central California. And you want this industrial farmed, irrigated, you know, a very low quality grape in a very low quality region. Mm. But you want it to taste like it's an Italian wine from the Mediterranean. They have a yeast for that, right? Wow. And so, so, so yeast can be modified to, to present flavor profiles. Wow. So, but let me get back to the alcohol. And the, before we go on any further, the alcohol issue is... When you irrigate a grapevine, it might not surprise you. Irrigation leads to higher sugars at the time of picking. Here's why. When you dilute the flavor of a grape by filling it with water, mm. and why do you do this? Water causes the fruit to weigh more. Fruit sold by the ton. Irrigation is about greed and money. Right, right. right. So, the United States... 99.9% of all vineyards are irrigated. Wow. It's the most irrigated place in the world for grape farming. In most of Europe, it's against the law to irrigate a grape farm. Which is why so many people go to Europe and drink wine and have an okay time. <laughs> exactly. We don't see U.S. wine. Mm. These are grown on very small family farms across Europe, and we have four growers in South Africa. This episode is sponsored by Ember Wave, the intelligent bracelet that helps control how you experience temperature. I'm heat sensitive, and this device has been a lifesaver. Using patented technology, it cools or warms the temperature-sensitive skin on your wrist, creating a natural response in your body and mind that helps you thermally adjust in minutes. It was selected by Time Magazine as one of 2018's best inventions. For those of you with mounting medical costs to consider, the team at Ember offer a payment plan in partnership with a firm. And because you listen to Uninvisible, they are offering you $30 off. Go to emberlabs.com slash invisible, that's E-M-B-R labs.com, and experience personal thermal wellness on a whole new level with me. Here's the thing. When you fill a grape berry with water, it weighs more and it has a higher yield, so it's worth more. But the problem is it also dilutes the character and dilutes the flavor of the grape. Therefore, in order to develop proper flavor for, for harvest, the sugar levels have to rise. So the fruit has to get riper. Well, mm -hmm. the higher the sugar at the time of picking, the higher the corresponding alcohol will be in fermentation. Wow. Because how wine's made is the grape juice, which is teeming with sugar, mm. is inoculated with yeast. In the commercial wine, it's inoculated with a lab-grown yeast. That yeast eats the sugar, and the byproduct of that is carbon dioxide and ethyl alcohol. That's how wine's made. And which is cover and that's important for people to understand because I'm sure people are hearing the word yeast and going, oh, no, is there gluten in my wine? <laughs> no, 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 It's when the yeast eats the sugar or is killed by the winemaker in the case of commercial wines and, and, and our wines, because our wines are sugar free, the yeast eats all of the available sugar. It is fully fermented and therefore it will be sugar free. 
Hmm. What happens with commercial winemakers very often is that they dump sulfur dioxide into the fermentation process, killing the yeast prematurely, hmm. leaving residual sugar behind. Right. So that's how sugar gets in wine. Wow. But back to the winemaking process for a moment is that when I was talking about yeast eating the sugar, mm-hmm. another thing that's notable to know about winemaking is that if you squeeze the juice from a white wine grape and the juice from a red wine grape, the, the juice is clear from both. How red wine gets its color and its additional polyphenols and antioxidants is from contact with the skin and the seeds, right? Mm-hmm. That's how red wine gets its color. White wine typically doesn't have any skin contact. That's the reason it's clear, right? Or basically clear. Yeah. The color in red wine and also where it gets most of its polyphenols are from contact with the skin. Mm. So white wine, when we talk about the health aspects of polyphenols and flavonoids and antiflavonoids and antioxidants, white wine has about... 200 polyphenols, red wine over 800, right? Wow. And so those are the additional ones, which is why you always hear that red wine is the healthier wine, right? <laughs> yeah. But red wine is also the wine that most women have the most amount of difficulty with. So there's a lot of women, you know, you know that will say, I can't drink red wine, but I drink white wine. God, right? I'm the opposite. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. I'm the opposite. I find white wine is more likely. Yeah, white wine is conventional white wines. Yeah, very often contain sugar. Right. Which, which, I, which, I just causes me to feel bad. Yeah. Sugar, in in uh, in our estimation, is the most addictive, widely abused drug on the planet. Agreed. Right. And so. We, you know, we just try and stay clear of it. But conventional white wines are usually much higher in sugar than conventional red wines. Mm-hmm. But so anyway, that's, that's uh, you know, uh, and when you talk about polyphenols, the most famous one is resveratrol, mm-hmm. uh, which has been shown in mice to extend lifespan uh, by about 30%. However, it's never been, sh- there's, never, there's never been any human evidence that this works for humans, no evidence that it works for humans at all. And also the other thing that's the wine industry picked up on the resveratrol and, and made a marketing boon out of it. Mm. The fact of the matter is it's a bit of a red herring. The amount of resveratrol fed to these mice was such a high volume that showed this life extension benefit, which has never been proven in humans Mm. and no way to prove it in humans because you have to, you can't have a control group study for a human's lifespan drinking red wine or resveratrol. It'd be unethical. Mm. And so the, so we're only taking it from the mice study, but the mice study, the concentration of resveratrol fed to these mice, you'd have to drink a swimming pool with a red wine of it a week, right? In order to get this kind of concentration. And so the fact that we've made a lot of, ballyhoo over resveratrol we don't even know if it works in humans in the first place Mm. and second of all you wouldn't be able to drink enough red wine to get a high enough concentration as was shown in the mice right Right. 
So when I tell people resveratrol may not work, you couldn't drink enough wine to get the benefit from it in the first place. And I tell you that wine's a terrible, that alcohol is a neurotoxin, right? Then people are like, I thought you were selling wine. Why are you <laughs> telling me all these things are not true? It's like, well, I'm not trying to sell you wine. I'm trying to educate you that if you're going to drink wine or if you're going to drink alcohol, you should think about your relationship with alcohol. You think about the amount of alcohol that you're drinking. And then you should think about the type of wines you're drinking if wine is your choice. Mm, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And so that's what I want you to think about. Mm. Not that I'm trying to sell you wine or think, tell you that alcohol is a great thing. Alcohol in moderate doses has been shown to improve the life of people, mm. right? And we also know that alcohol, no matter its form, moderate doses of alcohol have been beneficial to both cardiovascular and neurological health. And moderate drinkers have been shown to live longer. These are all facts, but that's moderate, right? And so, you know, in the keto keto and the paleo movement, which I'm both active in, and we're known as the keto wine and the paleo wine uh, all over the United States, and we're endorsed by virtually every paleo and keto, keto authority mm. um, and thousands of doctors and health authorities, that, that the choice that's often recommended, particularly in the paleo movement, is tequila, right? Mm. And so as because it comes from a plant, it's clean and distilled. Both of those things I agree with. Mm. It's probably organically farmed. I agree with that. Hmm. The problem is it's 45% alcohol. Yeah. And that, I can't drink where, tequila. I get sick drinking it. Right. So that's where the track, the train comes off the track for me is that, so alcohol, you know, is, is a very destructive drug. There's a couple problems with alcohol in addition to its neurotoxicity and its potential uh, and, and its potential uh, contribution to neurological degenerization like, Uh, Alzheimer's or dementia, Mm. right? So, and we know that people who abuse alcohol, very common in dementia or or Alzheimer's, we don't know that's the cause of Alzheimer's, but we believe that this neurological damage is is a slippery slope to contribute to neurological degeneration. Mm. So that being said, alcohol in wines has been steadily increasing over the last 30, 30 years because the wine industry loves alcohol. They love alcohol because alcohol is addictive. Let's be perfectly clear. It's an addictive drug. It's, the other reason that they love it is it's what I call a domino drug. What that means is the more alcohol you drink, the more likely you are to drink more, right? And so, and so it's a domino drug in this way. So the higher the alcohol, the more you drink, more you're likely to drink, more they're likely to sell wine. Yeah. Right. And that's all they're concerned about is the, how much they're selling and the profit. Right. I'm, again, I'm not here to sell wine. Yeah. I'm here to help people think about their relationship with, with alcohol. And, and so if they think about that, then I think that's the most beneficial thing I could do too. Now, if they want to drink wines, they should drink our wines, mm. right? That's going to be the healthiest, cleanest choice that they can get lab tested quantified we're biohackers we're as you can see we're fanatics yeah right? and so, <laughs> but in a good way <laughs> so, yeah so if you if, if if you if you're going to choose to drink wine we believe you should drink our wine because it's the healthiest mm. but i'm not here selling wine i'm here selling education right yes. and then you make your choices about what you want to do 
right? Yeah. yeah. And second of all, if you, you know, if you, if you, if you decide that you don't want to buy wine from us, which is fine, then you should at least drink natural wines, mm. right? And as we were talking about before the show started, as you know, in key markets, not many places in the U.S., and we have we have customers all over the all of the United States from places like Wichita, Kansas, or North Dakota or Iowa, where natural wines are simply not available. They're just not available. There are only a few places in the United States where you can find a decent amount of natural wine because natural wine is a very small category. So Los Angeles, yeah. um, San Francisco, mm-hmm. uh, New York, yep. right, Chicago, Dallas. So if you're in a large metropolitan marketplace, you're likely to find from a good selection of natural wine outlets to a scattered selection. So New York is the biggest natural wine market in the United States, you know, followed by, followed by San Francisco and Los Angeles are probably about tied. And so you can find there's an app, there's an, there's a smartphone app called Raisin. So you can download Raisin and it will, it's a free app that identifies natural wine retailers, restaurants and bars. And in your name, neighborhood uh in your neighborhood like jelena mm-hmm. or mtn or in, in venice on abbott kenny they have a large natural wine selection on their list now yeah. what you're not getting when you're buying just natural wine you're not getting a lab tested quantification not all natural wines are sugar free not mm-hmm. all natural wines are low in alcohol right mm-hmm. so when you buy wine from us then you're getting lab tested you're getting these quantifications we don't sell any wines over 12 and a half percent Mm-hmm. right? And as low as 6%. So just buying a natural wine gets you free of all the additives and the manipulations yeah. and the sulfur dioxide, but it doesn't get you free of higher alcohol or necessarily sugar or, yeah. you know, so, so, and, and no lab testing. So that's, yeah. you know, so we just take it, we just take natural wine and move the bar up. Absolutely. And, you know, you, you create these, um, rolling subscriptions so that people can make sure that they're keeping their wines stocked regularly and everything, which is very convenient. Um, and I, I was actually wondering, one thing we didn't talk about um, was, you know, you mentioned that you were on the Atkins diet in the 80s, and obviously you're ketogenic now. Was there a health reason aside from, you know, the neurological benefits and um, general physical benefits? Was there another health reason behind those changes in lifestyle for you? No, I've been blessed with great health my entire life, and I'm an athlete. And it, it, it. it uh, but I've just been very lucky in that regard. But, but no, I. In the '80s and '90s, it was vanity. I, you know, <laughs> you know, I was just trying to to stay in shape. That sure. not for particularly health reasons, but probably just more vanity issues. Yeah. But now because I'm much older now I've just taken a, you know, I mean, I'm almost 60. So I've like taken like a very proactive approach to longevity and wellness and particularly health span. Right. So I don't really, I'm not as concerned with lifespan as I am with health span. Right. Mm. And so, and, and even for people who are challenged with health issues, I think they should be focused on mediating their health span. 
right? So I don't think a lot about longevity per se. I use that word because I expect to live a long life, but, mm. but I don't think as much about longevity as I think about health span and how to extend and improve my wellness. Yeah. And so that's kind of how I think about that. Yeah. Which is how so many of us in the chronic illness community, we suddenly get plugged into our illness, but it takes getting sick to do it. But, you know, if we can improve our access to wellness, then we'll do a lot of things, <laughs> including drinking natural wines. So um, we talked a lot about how the FDA and the TTB are not helping consumers, right? Are there any ways in which these boards are helping consumers at all when it comes to the wine market? No, I, I, don't, I don't think so. I don't think they're of any assistance at all. I, I don't. I don't see them as a great assistant. You know, you talk about the FDA. I mean, you could. We could have a whole show on the FDA. I know. <laughs> so, I, you know, look, all of these agencies are under the thumb of politicians who are under the thumb of lobbyists. Right. And special interests and corporate spending. So how do we change it? Well, we can start voting, first of all. Mm-hmm. I mean, so if, if the, you know, the fact of the matter is nice people often don't vote. They just don't want to be bothered with the whole process. Mm-hmm. Right. And so... Clearly, we can change anything and everything by electing different people who will, who will like change laws that keep this, this nepotism and this long, you know, this relationship that politicians have with lobbyists and with Washington and special interests. So voting is, a, is, is the only way we can make a change. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we, it, the, the system is so ingrained now, the only way to change it is simply elect different people with the ideals that reflect what we believe in. But if we don't go out and vote, and Mm -hmm. most people don't, then the same people are going to keep making the same elected decisions, which is what's happened now. And so, you know, it's when you think about the FDA, the FDA causes as much harm as good in this respect, right? They do nothing good for wine. But but approval of medical devices and processes you know, many of these things are held up for years, you know, in these uh, are patents on existing pharmaceuticals and so on. And the list goes on and on and on to enrich the colors of special interest. Mm. Right. And so and I'm, they certainly don't do anything positive for wine at all. Uh, no, it's it's very interesting. And, and I think it comes up a lot in the discussions that we have on the show, because, you know, all of these regulations that exist for food and drink affect the medical industry, um, particularly through pharmaceuticals. And as you're saying, the way to change it is to to start participating in politics and and trying to oust these special interest groups and people who will continue to to feed their wallets. So um, it's great that there's a company out there like yours that's independent of these interests, you know, um, where we can access these products that are more helpful for us um, in moderation. Um, and I wondered if you had, um, because we know that if, if someone is chronically ill, um, drinking wines that Dry Farm Wines um, selects may be a little bit more possible, um, make wine drinking a little more possible for us. Do you have any tips for people um, who are looking at uh, these different lifestyle changes Um, and how to sustain these changes, particularly with regard to wine and selecting the right kinds of wines? Well, again, the the only advice, I can't really offer a lot because Mm. 
because unfortunately there's not much transparency, yeah. right? But generally selecting lower alcohol wines. And if you live in a place like you in Los Angeles and the Venice area, you can get access to legitimate natural wine retailers, mm. right? There's probably five in Los Angeles and the Los Angeles area that sell exclusively natural wines, right? right? And so, you know, you at that point, it's fairly safe if you deal with a natural wine retailer, right? That's all they do, mm. right? There's a pretty good chance that you're going to be drinking legitimate natural wines. Now, let me talk about organic wine for a moment because I get asked this question. What about organic wines I see in Whole Food? Well, just because a wine is organic does not mean that it's natural. It does not mean that it's additive-free. Or even a wine that's biodynamic does not mean that it's natural or that it's additive-free. Mm. It, it, it just means how it was farmed. Now, is that better than drinking tradition, conventionally farmed? Sure. Is it natural and additive-free, sugar-free? Not necessarily. Mm. Very often not, particularly a wine that you might see in a place like Whole Foods. And the reason I tell you that is because in order to supply or any, any wine that there's a biodynamic winery that's quite well known in California that does a lot of national advertising, right? They advertise that they're biodynamic and they're sold in Whole Foods. Mm. Well, here's the thing with that. If you make enough wine, if you make enough wine to supply Whole Foods or you make enough wine to run a national ad campaign, I assure you, you are not additive free and you are certainly not natural because mm. you can't make wine in that kind of quantities without the use of these additives and manipulations. Mm. And so be very careful about that. Just because it's organic or biodynamic does not mean it's natural. Right? That's really good advice. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's really that like we need to be looking for all of the standards at which you hold your wine producers, um, which are that you're independently lab testing them, but they're I mean, do you want to tell us all of the different things? It's sugar-free, uh, low alcohol, keto-friendly, paleo-friendly, gluten-free, you know, the list goes on and on. But, um, you know, it's just fantastic to be able to, to reclaim this part of, of community for those of us who have been away from it for so long. <laughs> well, there's also a lot of other, you know, there, it's not, look, this is a big topic. Yeah. So the other thing, the way commercial wines are produced and their maceration periods and maceration and red wine, this is why red wine is very commonly not friendly to many people and particularly women as is white wine is because maceration is the process. That's what it's called when you soak the skins in the juice. It's called maceration. Well, conventional winemakers have very long maceration periods for two reasons. It creates more in the wine and it also makes the wine darker. And mm. Americans believe the darker a red wine is, the higher the quality it is. Now, there's no truth to that, but mm. that is a commonly held myth. That being said, these maceration periods lead to really elevated levels of biogenetic amines like tyramine and histamine. And this is another thing that causes people to feel bad and very common for women to feel bad from from tyramine and histamine. Mm. And so these levels are also elevated in commercial wines. You don't see this in natural wines because the maceration periods are much shorter mm. because there's no objective to make the wine darker or bolder. In fact, the, wine, the objective is to make the wine natural and elegant and clean and simple. 
right? And to make it darker, richer, bigger, bolder, which is the commercial winemaker's objective. Mm-hmm. So you, you do have these biogenetic amines at much lower levels than natural wine as well. Mm, that's really good to know as well. And if anyone wants to find Dry Farm Wines, find out more about wine education and perhaps order some bottles from you, where would they, where would they find you, Todd? Just dryfarmwines.com. Fantastic. And uh, we're Dry Farm Wines on all social media. Fantastic. Well, Todd, it has been an absolute pleasure to chat with you today. I'm so excited to introduce Dry Farm Wines to so many of the our compatriots here in the in the chronic illness community. And um, it's just been a pleasure to meet you. And thank you for giving us wine we can drink. <laughs> nice. Thanks for having me today. It's been an absolute pleasure. That's it, folks. Thanks for listening. As always, please check us out online at uninvisiblepod.com and all over the social media world at uninvisiblepod. We love your feedback and suggestions, so please drop us a line via the website if you have questions, ideas for topics to cover in future episodes, or just want to say hello. We're all about relationships and collaboration here, so credit where credit is due. Music for this episode is by Sean Hart, who can be found at seanhart.com. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts.